The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1-909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Welcome to the Influencer's Edge. This is the place where you come to get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques to leapfrog over the pack in sales, persuasion, and influence. Be sure you visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, tune in, and enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome to the Influencers Edge. And today we have a very interesting guest who's, I think for me, addresses one of my biggest problems in business. His name is Simon Chan. Simon, welcome to the show. I'm going to read a little bit of your biography, but we're going to stop as we go through because you have so many interesting things going on for you. Hey, thank you for having me on here, Paul. It's an honor. Yeah, yeah. So Simon Chan is a consistency coach and founder of MLM Nation. Let's pause right there. You are a consistency coach. I'm a highly creative person, and consistency is a real challenge. So I would like to know before we, well, let me go into the rest of your biography, and then we'll return to that. You're the founder of MLM Nation, a business training company. You started as an entrepreneur in 2003, and you built a million-dollar business with over 200,000 distributors. That's in and of itself a tremendous accomplishment because so many people I know start MLM and they wind up going nowhere. So God, I want to dive into how you did that. Now an international speaker and trainer, Simon helps business owners stay consistent, defeat overwhelm and build a successful business online. He's the host of MLM Nation podcast, the number one direct selling podcast. Well, you have some accomplishments under your belt, sir. And today we're going to be talking about the consistency system, simple steps to boost sales and business success without altering your existing business plan. Sounds like magic to me. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. I want to talk to you, first of all, this ability to address consistency, this grow out of your own challenges with it, or have you always been a consistent person? I was not consistent. Uh, hopefully my boys don't listen to this, but I always joke that the only thing I was consistent with in college was playing video games to 4 a.m. in the morning and cutting class. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> so I have no consistency. So when I got started as an entrepreneur in 2003, even though I got started in direct selling, you know, otherwise known as network marketing, multi-level MLM, uh, I struggled for months. I wanted to do it, and I was actually one of those rare – most people get recruited into MLM, right, that were working. I actually did my research, and I wanted to have my own business, and uh, but I didn't come from a business background. And to me, network marketing seemed the easier way to get to six figures. 
And um, because I was just coming from a sports background, nothing to do with business. So but I got started. And when I started, I struggled for months uh, because I had no consistency. I, you know, I would attend like a team training, a rah, rah, rah on Saturday. I'll get really fired up and maybe do something. And then, on, I'll, then I'll get distracted by the weekend. And then on the, we had another training call in the middle of the week. And then that'll make me feel bad. I'll get motivated again. But that will last for another day. And then it'll go on. It'll go on for months. And I may never made any money until I met a mentor that uh, really taught me what consistency was and pushed me hard every single day. That's when I learned really what it took to be successful and to stay consistent and be successful in what you do. So what I think I hear you saying is it's the mentorship that enabled you to take on the consistency. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, we know we, we will talk about this later, the consistency system, right? So if you want to achieve any type of goal, you have to apply these seven components. And Paul, you've achieved a lot of goals. Whether you knew it or not, you applied these seven components. And the, no. most important, and the most important component is component number seven, which is accountability, which is what a mentor comes in. Because now accountability it comes in many different ways. It could be a one-on-one accountability, like a mentor, or it could be a group accountability or someone you have to report to. Or it could be like, hey, you're on a podcast. You announce this something to everyone, and there's you know, tens of thousands of people listening to this, and then all of a sudden, hey, you're, you put yourself out there. That's another type of accountability. But you need accountability. And for me, uh, I had a mentor that pushed me every day, got to the point where I know I wanted to be successful. If I didn't want to be successful, I was just like, whatever, I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. But he pushed me hard and I wanted success. So I really, he made me get outside my comfort zone to do things I didn't want to do just because I wanted to, you know, make him happy so I could be successful. All right. You said there's seven elements. Can we dive into a couple more? Yeah. The first one is you got to have a checklist of what to do. So let's take an example of a goal, right? A lot of people have business goals, whatever goal you want to set. It could be a personal goal. Like I want to get in shape. I want to lose 20 pounds in the next 90 days, whatever. So you got to have a specific checklist of things you need to do. Like if you want to lose 20 pounds in the next 90 days, um, what are you going to exercise? Are you going to walk around the block? Are you going to change your, are you going to buy food at a different place, right? If you have a business goal, it is also like, what are you going to do? Are you going to do so if you say, if you want to expand to a new market, uh, what type of marketing activities are you going to go to the market? So you got to have a specific checklist that you need to work on. The second component is, and this is the, probably the most important one is you got to create and schedule the time. Because as you know, Paul, we are, you know, we have unlimited ambition, a limited time. So unless you go to the calendar, say, I'm going to block off and block it off in your calendar. This is what I'm going to do. Committed to this goals. It's just not going to happen. Now, right, can I ask you a question here? As yes. a highly creative person, just the sound of that is gives me a cringy feeling down the center line of my chest. The idea of blocking off time to me, I'm just saying, I, I understand the importance. I agree with you on playing, sort of playing devil's advocate. Because I know there are many highly creative people out there. To me, that sounds like putting a leash around my neck and punching a clock. So how do you deal with people's internal resistance to doing that? I tend to think of it not as blocking time, but my flowing impact, creating my flowing, impactful, productive scheduling. Do you understand? Blocking off time sounds like death to me. Yes. So... Let me ask you this, Paul. When are you most creative when you get good work done? Usually in the mornings 
late afternoons and early evenings. Uh, mid afternoons, forget it. From yeah. noon to so mornings. Yeah. Mornings. So, I mean, you have accomplished a lot in life. I, I assume most of the important stuff you have accomplished, the creativity and the ideas come from those times, correct? Yes. Yes. Right. So, you have, um, what do you normally do in the morning like when you wake up? <laughs> well, it depends on who I'm with, Simon. <laughs> but yep. I have a routine where uh, I get. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. You said the magic word. I have to stop. You have a routine. Yes. Right. And anything you do well, you have a certain type of routine. Yeah. Right. So your routine is like maybe in the morning and, and you know yourself like in the mid day, you're not that you're not that productive. You save your good energy for certain times of the day. The routine right. is the word. Anything you want to be consistent. When I say create and schedule the time, maybe you're blocking off time may sound like rigid, but you have some create a routine. Right? And if you exercise, people exercise consistently. They have a routine. Yeah. Right? So find, it doesn't need necessarily be, I'm going to block and be so rigid, but go into that routine, create a routine for whatever task you want. You want. Because Correct. if you don't create the routine, it may happen once, it may happen twice, but it's not going to happen. You're not going to do something consistently. Right. Have you heard of a book called The One Thing? Yes. That was with a big game changer. For, uh, uh, game changer for me, too, because this guy, I got to get him on the show. This guy says it takes on average 66 days to develop a new, to develop a new routine, a new habit. It's not the three-week thing that is discussed in yeah. pop psychology. And, and here's another, uh, you know, Here's another thing I wrote about in my book is that if you think about time blocking, well, that's really boring. And a lot of people go from like, they want to go from what called zero to hero, right? Like, so the example would be someone who doesn't exercise. And all of a sudden, I want to get in shape. I go to the gym for two hours, an hour and a half. And all of a sudden, they're so sore. They can't even move their arms the next day. It's a miserable experience, <laughs> right? They never, and they never want to go again. So if you want to start something new, like you say, time blocking, that sounds so boring. Start just with one minute. Start small, right? If you just say, I want to spend five minutes on doing something, that is manageable, right? If you say, I want to time block for one hour to do this, maybe difficult. Start small. Start like, and you talk about it takes 66 days to create a habit. It may take you one minute, two minutes to start a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, just like my reading habit. I, like, I can't focus for a long time, but I, when I start reading, I couldn't even read for 10 minutes because my mind, you know, when you read for the first 30 seconds, you're very into the book. And by the third minute, my mind's wandering. I'm daydreaming. I'm no idea. So I started with like one minute. I read one minute, and I put the book down. I'm done. But at least I read it one minute. And what it actually does for you is you feel better about yourself because even if you read one minute, you feel better than if you didn't read because you know, assuming if reading was your goal, right? So I felt better by myself. By myself, like I didn't read by today. I read one minute. I feel good. And then it's like a tolerance, like a muscle. You slowly build it. I said, oh, I can do one minute. Now I want to. Then we go to two minutes, three minutes. So right now, my reading routine is 10 minutes. Every day, I read 10 minutes. Uh, by the way, I still cannot read more than 10 minutes. My mind starts wandering. I start getting bored. But just reading 10 minutes a day has allowed me to finish one or two books. On average, about one book every three weeks. And it's, and it's helped me grow a lot. So if you feel like the structure is very rigid, start small. Start one. Start very, very small and slowly build that up. If you go all of a sudden a lot, yeah, it's, it can be very difficult, very miserable. I think that's really, really key advice because so many people present such a big image, a big goal of how you have to be to be successful. And they're 
hammering you hard and not recognizing that human beings have resistance to discipline and you have to start slowly. So it's very good, useful insight. Give me one more of those and then I wanna go into the rest of what you do because it is so um, content rich and, and so valuable. So one more of those seven and then I'd like to move forward. Yeah, um, choosing your environment. You probably know this, right? So if you wanna be consistent, you gotta um, choose your environment. There's two types of environment. So number one, I have like a beautiful studio office here, home office, but I can't do any creative work here. Like you can tell me to do some creative work, like to plan a speech. I'm like sitting there. I can't. But all of a sudden, if I go walk around the block with my phone, I jot ideas down. All of a sudden, in 10 minutes, a 10 minute walk, I get creative, right? So changing your environment or the social media content, I create the ideas is whether I'm meditating in my backyard or I'm walking, my dog, I come up with the ideas. So change your environment to be consistent, especially if you're a lot of times we're working in something versus working on something. If you're working in the business. This is my this is my environment. But working on something new, it's difficult. Even just right now, before I came on the show, I'm working on a new launch happening in the next couple of months. And I really I got to get out of here, but I couldn't. So I went there. I was in my living room, but uh, by my living room on the sofa, my dog. All of a sudden, I see the backyard of a beautiful view of the valley. All of a sudden, boom, boom, all these ideas came. Right. Another environment is music. Music's a big part. Uh, before, you know, it's kind of like Pavlov's. Uh, Dogs, when we, you know, they hear a bell, you can do something. You know, if I played a certain song, Paul, will bring you immediately back to your high school days, right? We all, we all have that song that gives us goosebumps. It's the same thing. If you learned, um, you know, right before this talk about NLP, it's like NLP. I'm not going to explain how it works. So basically, you anchor it. So before I speak on any podcast shows, you know, I've actually done an estimate. I've spoken at least 10,000 times, whether it's like a one-on-one presentation on stage or live videos at events throughout my years and I still get nervous but before I come on I always play Thunderstruck by ACDC right once I hear Thunderstruck I wish I had it I would play that right now but I get fired up I play for two minutes I'm like all right Paul let's go I'm ready all that fear goes away right so we all have that song choose a song that inspires you when I wrote my book I chose the same song on repeat track over but once I and I didn't feel like writing but once I heard that song the merely conditioned me to do it when I lift weights, I'm like, oh, I don't want to work out. I listen to the same song. And you need to choose a different song for different activity. It can, once I, my song for working out, lifting weights, is a Triumph by Wu-Tang Clan. Once I hear that rap, ooh, it conditions me. I want to pump iron. gets me going. So that's a big one, choosing the environment. These are the little things that help you stay consistent, do what you need to do. I have to validate what you're saying. Not that I have to validate it. You're obviously a very self-validating individual, which I think is part of your personal power, which to me is obvious. And that is for me, there are certain environments where when I'm working in the business, I definitely have to be here in my home office. But if I'm going to get creative, there's this one particular coffee shop I go to. I can sit down there and write and create for five hours straight, just getting it twice for bathroom break. I can't do that here to save my life. It's not a limiting belief, it's just the way it works. So I think that's a very, very useful insight. I'm gonna take a little sidetrack here, if you don't mind, because MLM, I know direct sales, direct selling. I know it's not supposed to be the topic of this conversation, but again, I did give you a caveat before we came on the air live which is if I hear something of interest, I want to dive into it because I know my audience likes cutting edge questions. That's why the name of the show is The Influencer's Edge. We like people who are on the edge who are 
contrarian and have things to say that are counterintuitive. I have met so many people in my life who have attempted MLM or direct selling and they fall flat. But you built an organization of two, is it 200,000 people? Is that correct? Yes, 200,000. All right. So that means you had to train people at different levels of competency to be competent and motivated and disciplined. Not the technical aspects of how the plan works. That's probably relatively easy for anybody to understand. So how did you manage your own frustrations in getting people who are not necessarily competent to be competent and disciplined? How in the world did you transmit, create, encourage, discipline, and motivation in the face of a lot of no and a lot of rejection? It's one thing to train one person to do that. But to do it with 200,000 people, to me, that's like parting the Red Sea. Uh, it's, it's a miraculous achievement going beyond magic. How the hell did you do that? That is an excellent. By the way, I love your questions. I've been on many shows, but you uh, asked uh, the, the previous question about how to um, time blocking. That was a good one. Okay. <clears throat> Caught me off guard. Uh, I love it. You know what? Network marketing, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. And oh, first of all, it's the mental toughness comes from uh, the personal development. I think one of the things about network marketing is it, they teach you to think, be mentally tougher. And not everyone makes it. If you're not mentally tough, just like in any business, you can't deal with rejection. Well, what does that mean? Hold on. Let's unpack that because I don't like my guests to go forward without unpacking. What specifically do you, do you mean? By being mentally tough. What does that mean? If someone says to you, Paul, I can't believe you're doing that. That's just such a scam. What are you doing? I mean, you're wasting your life doing that? And how do you react to that? I laugh in their face. Right. Well, because you have achieved a certain type of level of success already, right? So you know that others' opinions, if you buy other people's opinions, you're buying their lifestyle, right? So you know that, hey, you have your own agenda. But most people come into network marketing, they don't come from that type of and I definitely didn't when I first started, right? That type of mental toughness. That Because often we get swayed by other people's opinions very easily. So in network marketing, one reason why a lot of people fail is they just think about, <clears throat> I fail to realize it's about timing, finding the right person at the right time, right? So you talk to your five closest friends. They're like, come on, Simon, why are you doing that? You got to be kidding me, right? And, and it hurts, it hurts. But knowing that, hey, they're not rejecting you. They're just rejecting the business. They're turning down the products. They're not rejecting you. And the timing is not right for them. Simon, Simon if I can, I'd like to sort of push back and play devil's advocate because it brings out the best in my, in my guests. Do you think that mental toughness can be taught and trained in, or is it just something, is being good at building a team a matter of being really good at being selective and saying that person just is going to get it and that person's not? Or do you believe that, yes, this can be trained into people who don't naturally have it? Because no, it, definitely, it definitely is trainable because I didn't have it at the beginning. And what helped me was personal development, right? Listen to a lot of countless motivation audios, sales tapes, uh, training from my mentors, my teams. Because, and then you're also realizing in any business, there's going to be rejection, right? How many, and, and 
the event of dream building, meaning I used to go bike. I lived in a tiny 400 square foot apartment, but I would go bike and a couple of miles from uh, like only like three, four miles from me were like $10 million homes. And I look at these homes and like, whoa, what did it take? How did a person afford that type of house? And if you look, any person who's been successful, they've gone through rejection before, right? They've gone through failure. And someone that the recent, lately I looked up to a lot was like Elon Musk. And when he started, um, just like the, the amount of, when he started SpaceX, right? It took seven years of failure. He couldn't even get a rocket up, seven years. And there's a one point where he could barely pay, even though he had made over like, I think 160 million by selling off PayPal, right? He was a, one of the co-founders. He barely could make his rent in Los Angeles. Because he had all his money tied up and Tesla wasn't going well. No one so can afford their rent in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes, he can, pay for all our, all, he can pay for all our rents now, right? Buy houses for us. But so knowing those stories where they went from nothing, rejection, and how they started, right? Knowing like um, how Oprah Winfrey started. You study the lives of successful people, reading autobiographies. Like another inspiration, one of the best books I read was, a, and I wish I read this earlier, but it wasn't out back then, but it was recently, was Shoe Dog, Phil Knight, right? Because I'm a- Say it again, how do you say it? Shoe Dog, Phil Knight, the guy who started Nike. Oh, okay. started Nike. Yeah. Shoe yeah, Shoe Dog. And I'm a huge Nike fan growing up. I grew up with Air Jordans and stuff, but the guy started Nike. He, he always had a debt. Well, he was in debt. It was never net cash flow or whatever. He had net worth of zero, basically, negative net worth until he was in his 40s, right? Until Nike went public, he never had any money to his name. It was all back, all the, all the money went back in the company. So hearing ins, inspirational stories like this keeps you full game. You know what? I'm down a little bit, but I'm going to be like that. Everyone who's been successful has gone through what I've gone through. And that really helped me out a lot. And, and also seeing success, seeing the mansion, seeing uh, these Got people it. are successful. That really helped me. And, and so that mindset was developed. It wasn't just like, oh, because I, I definitely didn't have it at the beginning. Again, respectfully, I get it. I I appreciate that. Thank you for conveying that value. My further question to that this is interesting. I used to be a paralegal and we used to sit in on depositions and help the attorneys and listen to the attorneys craft the questions to really elicit things from people. And I've also taken some training with a friend of mine who's a former interrogator for the intelligence agency. So I know how to get information from you. That's your story. I want to know how you were able to convey that and put that into people who are members of your team. Again, here's the thing. This is not about multi-level marketing or direct selling, ladies and gentlemen, but the skill set of being a leader and rolling people in a vision is a huge part of being a champion salesperson. If you're going to sell, you have to enroll people in the vision of what it is you're presenting. If you're going to lead a sales team, you have to enroll them. And there's so much about enrollment on many different levels of what you've learned to do. You're a master at it. So I want to know, that's how you inspired. Mm. But how did you turn around and inspire your team and keep them going? And at the same time, give them useful feedback when they're falling on their asses and not meeting the proper level of expectation. I know this is not going where you expected, but what draws my curiosity is what I ask about. No, I love this. This is actually way off than what I planned, but this is actually the stuff I like to talk about. So there are two parts to that question, right? The first thing is people have the misconception that if you want to build a, two, a group of 200,000, they're all going to be super successful 200,000 people, like lead, quote unquote leaders or producers, the producers, which is the reality is out of 200,000, there's maybe only a thousand people that really produce and create sales. 
The rest are quote unquote followers or they're just customers, the consumers. But they, but they have fulfillment. They're still happy. And I'll talk about how do you keep them happy. So the business is not really turning. It's like people think, well, I recruit four people, and those four people, they are also just as motivated as me. They recruit four, then become 16, and then recruit another four, then 64. And then after one year, the whole world is your organization. It never works like that. It's more like you recruit 20, maybe one person would do something, 19, barely do anything, right? But you, the key for leadership is you still got to keep those 19 people happy. I'll share with you in a second. But so the business itself is about not re, it's about recruiting leaders. The mistake that people make is, oh, I recruited 20 people. I'm waiting for them to develop. The thing is, they're not going to develop because this business, the entry point is so low and then people get distracted. They're not the, the super, super go-getter. Now, even though they may want it, but the timing in their life, they may got something with a kid now, they got school, they're not going to do it. So the businesses, and my mentor always taught me to say, and I used to, oh, how come the guy couldn't do that? Because I was always the person of my word. If I say I was going to show up to a meeting, I'll show up, yes. right? So I'll show up. Yeah. And, and I said, my mentor, I told my mentor, you know what? This uh, Connie didn't show up. Why not? And, and all he said was, Simon, go find the next Simon. Connie is not like Simon. You find the next Simon. And that was like one of the best words. Like you're out there looking for leaders and the leaders will take care of everything. It's not about turning the John and Sarah, the average person into superstar leaders. So as long as you keep recruiting and the mistake that people make is they get into management mode where they recruited you know, four people, five, and they stop and waiting for them to go. That is like the kiss of death in network marketing. Just, you know, I always say the number one mistake is quitting. The second worst mistake is getting into management mode and stop, stop producing. Because you at the point, you're the number one sales producer. You got to keep recruiting and bring in the next leader. So the second part of that question is, so if you're only recruiting leaders, most people are not leaders. How do you keep them happy? Right now, that doesn't mean they're not successful because a lot of people stay in it for many reasons. Right? There's only there's four reasons why people stay in multi-level. Number one is they're making money, and obvious. If they're making money, they're not going to quit. But the second reason is very important: is fulfillment. People feel they have a certain fulfillment in doing something. I remember my first leader; he made he got him to a rank where he made a one-time check of a thousand dollars in a week. Okay, one time check. And the second week, he went back to zero. Third week, he made $50. But he hit a rank of $1,000. And he said to me, and he was the first person in his family ever to go to college and to hit, make over 50000 a year. And he said to me, Simon, that was the most proudest thing I ever did. The last time I was so proud was when I made my high school baseball team. That meant that $1,000 check meant more than going to college, more than getting the job and working at a bank. Because for him, he worked at it. So as a leader, you got to create things. Fulfillment is recognition. People love recognition. We all have pride. So when someone, a mistake a lot of people make is they reward, you know, results. Oh, you get a customer. Oh, you we celebrate you, right? But, or you sign up someone new, you recognize you. But what about a person who did three meetings and no one joined and no one bought? There's, there's basically zero chance, 0% chance that person is going to show up again next week. Well, they're devastated. So that's the person you need to, hey, you praise the activity. Hey, great job. Awesome that you showed. You no, know, I want to, you can do a social media post in a group. Say, congrats to John for bringing three people to the presentation. He's off to an amazing start. And you have maybe a couple, two team this members. Really you go you yeah. got to give fulfillment. Is, we, we, go ahead. No, no, this is really good because I think what I'm hearing you say is leadership 
is rewarding people according to the level of what will make them feel fulfilled. Exactly. And we all, you know, like a Mavlov hierarchy of needs, we all have a pride need. We all want yes. recognition, right? So like, yes. for example, when someone does some activity, you can, we had team members create certificates, right? Certificates, they could, hey, congrats, showed up. You could have an attendance certificate. Went to 10 trainings in a row, right? Now, now showing up for 10 trainings, you may like, Paul, you may say, well, that's no big deal. What's the big deal about that? But for this guy, John, the last time he got any certificate was in high school. His company's not giving him that stuff. His company's not giving recognition. His company's not having three leaders leave a voicemail saying, good job. Now he's like, wow, this is a cool part. This is a good group I want to be part of. And as long as they stay in the business, eventually they'll get customers and get some results. So it's a very powerful, excuse me, it's a very powerful sales technique because it's a reminder that the person, it's a physical reminder that they can see every day to keep themselves enthusiastic and keep themselves encouraged rather than saying nice job. And we're, right. used to it. we're, we're programmed through our experience to get certificates and awards and, and that sort of thing. So that unconscious way of processing achievement, I'm telling you this as a hypnotist, is already buried there in the unconscious mind. So it's an anchor as speaking to you as someone who knows NLP, it's, it's very clever technique. I'm sure it's, it's a linchpin of how you can leverage people who are not yet producing to stay involved and stay enthusiastic. You know, um, it brings back to when I first started, I first, uh, after my mentor helped me out and I started becoming consistent, I won some type of award. It was just, you know, if I share with you, it's like so cheesy and lame, right? It was like during the spring of 2004, I won an award and the, and the company sent me like an umbrella, like a spring, you know, like a garden toolkit and a little umbrella. And at that time, like a rain jacket. And believe it or not, I still have that rain jacket toolkit and the umbrella. Because at that time, that was the only thing I ever won. I never won anything my company job ever. But to me, it's like I got something. That I, I actually won something. I felt like a winner. I'm thinking, thinking back, that thing probably cost like $30, $20, the lamest gift. But to me at that point, I was like, that was the coolest thing because I never, I had never won anything my company ever before, right? I never got any recognition. So fulfillment is number two. Obviously, uh, the pro love of the, if you like the product or service, that's very important, right? So product training, teaching them, yeah, this is the product, this is what does. If you love the product, you love the service, even though you may not be active, but you can stay on as a customer. And most company, ML companies, they make you use some, the product every month. Right? So you stay on, and that contributes to the residual income of the team. And then the last part is very important is, and I didn't get this at the beginning because I'm like a, sh you know, you may not believe it, I'm a shy, quiet Asian kid from Brooklyn, New York. I'm not the most I don't believe, I Actually, I did not believe that. I think in this context, you're not. But maybe in other right. context. Right. You learn to turn it on and off. My on switch is right in my, in my uh, supposed to be outgoing. Afterwards, after school, I'm going to turn off and eat lunch by myself. So, so the, the, the last part is, and I didn't get this because I'm like, you know, my introvert is people stay in because of relationships, right? Relationships. So if I'm for, and you see this in other places, well, you may go to the gym, but, but you don't really like that gym is a little crowded, but you go because your friends go or someone goes to a church, they go to that church. They don't like the sermon, but all their friends go to that. So they feel bad about go, switching to another church, right? Exactly. Same thing. In network marketing, you're, you create friendships and, and you, know, you want to add, you want to make it easier, the fulfillment, right? We talk about the recognition. You give recognition to that person, the person will love you, right? Like It's so after, true. 
And then so the relationships keep people in. So you have the 200,000, maybe only 1,000 are the top, top producers. I would say 90% of them do very little, but they still are happy. And they're happy that I'm doing, they feel good. I'm doing something. I'm not just like the, everyone else, the status quo, get a job. I'm actually working. I haven't had much success yet, but I feel I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track in my life. And they feel happy. That is really, that's the answer to your question, Paul. That's how I you keep really, it. really addressing a, a need that's being increasingly taken away from us, which is the need for connection and the need to be socially bonded. This is a hardwired human drive, hardwired driver of human behavior. Yeah. For bonding. Yeah, and, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what? Yeah, I'm sorry. When we appeal to hardwired needs, then we're really going to get people moving. And instead of just sitting there on the fence, they will move. And what you said about creating belonging, I have an entrepreneurial mentor who also happens to be a pastor of a church. And I'm not a believer, but I, he, I go occasionally and he said, you know, Paul, you belong first and then you believe. I told him, don't hold your breath. I'm just coming for the free dinners and the great desserts. <laughs> but I get your point. I get your point. Let's dive a little bit more into this. And then I promise we'll move on to other things. But you've got my attention. Yeah, I want to add one thing. I want to add one more thing because you, you brought it up. You know, it's very important to go to events, right? In network marketing. Now, I didn't understand that. Like, you're doing this business. Why do you have to go to the event? It's like, why does the church, how come the church doesn't do online meetings? Why do you have to meet? Because when you meet in network marketing, you, do, you go to your company events. Like I've been to so many companies. I don't even remember any of the trainings there, but I remember all the relationships and the times I had dinner with people. And that was the thing that, re, number one, inspired me, gave me the fulfillment, the knowing someone that was successful, I got to have lunch with them, and then the relationships. So I just wanted to add that in there because it's a huge, huge part. Let's switch to something else because you talk a lot about learning through failure that uh, I, I don't want to go back to my phone and look at the notes, but you talk about overcoming failure and using failure as the springboard to being successful. Is that correct? Is that the way you phrase it? Yeah, the, I would say the, your, worst moment, your worst moments are the raw materials for your future success. Let's talk about how to take that from being a concept to being a reality. What is the methodology for doing that? But we don't learn much when things go well, if you think back, right? If you think about the life lessons, we learn the most about ourselves, what we need to improve on when things don't go well. So in order for that to work well is being aware, awareness is the first step to be improving, our improvement, awareness, being aware. So something that's helpful is taking what I call like a, recapping your day at the end of the day. I, I wrote in my book with a daily EQ quiz, a series of questions. Uh, but one of the questions is, what are the wins you've had? What are the wins you have? List out three wins you had today, right? And, and another related, what are the three thing, new things you're grateful for? Sometimes people feel like, oh, today's just like every other day. But no, no, today's not like every other day. So tonight, when I write down my three, three new things, I'm grateful to be on your show, right? Because this is something I've never been on, right? Or I, well, I connected with you. Three new things. That immediately makes you start aware of the, all the blessings we have. And then you can start thinking about the three wins. What are three wins I've had? Um, and then you write down what are three, th and you start the three wins because you give yourself some grace. It's very easy to be so hard on ourselves. Oh, you suck. You didn't do it. There's another bad day. You, you start the three wins. 
three things you're grateful for. And then you list out what are three things you need to get better? Three things you need to get better. Three things you need to improve on. And I think I've been doing this for, for over like, yes, basically since 2004, 2005. I always write down what are things that are good and what are things that needs to be better. And when you're just writing it down, like you can say it in your mind, but when you write it down, somehow it sinks deeper. And if you, I see your journal, Paul. I've and got when, I've got three active ones and over forty stored in my <laughs> blog. So I'm on on the page with you. Yeah, and then if you find yourself writing the same thing, need improvement over and over again. You're like, come on, wake up. This is what's not working out, right? And so those are a couple of things that'll help realizing um, your your worst moments are the raw materials for your future success. Because it's the lessons and the moments that will make you make the changes to help you get to where you want to go. You dropped a beautiful word that you're not even aware you used, I think. You said something beautiful and brilliant. You said, give yourself some grace, G-R-A-C-E. I've never heard anyone say it like that. Give yourself some credit. Give yourself some recognition. You didn't say that. You said, give yourself some grace, which I think is a very, very powerful word. If we dive into that for a minute, what does that word grace mean to you? As opposed to, if you contrast grace with recognition, because that word came out of your heart. That was not, that's a heart-driven word, grace, not a, from the neck up. That's a heart-driven word. Where did that word come from? When you think of grace, what resonates for you? Well, when I think of grace, I think of forgiveness, love, love and forgiveness, the two things. And I, you know, um, Jesus Christ is a big part of my life. So when I think of grace, I think of Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. So that's where it comes from. Because we who's the biggest enemy? Ourselves. Who's the biggest critic? Ourselves. Oh, you can't, we always we have like doubts, right? Um, we doubt ourselves way more than other people doubt ourselves. And we know a lot of secrets that other people don't know. And we're always putting ourselves down. So when I said to give yourself grace, it's be more forgiving. We all make mistakes. Like a lot of people can't, you know, I see a lot of people, unfortunately, they can't move beyond their mistakes. They're still haunted decades later. I'm, I screwed this up, so I can't do that anymore, right? Look, I started a business that failed. Uh, I don't even want to look at any other business opportunity anymore, right? Oh, and so lack of grace is forgiveness and love. Just appreciate, hey, be love yourself. Be forgiving, love. And, you know, we're, we should be blessed. We get to live another day and make things happen. To be able to, to practice unconditional forgiveness for yourself as a motivation strategy is not something that's discussed. So for you to share that is a, is a very unique diamond you've just placed on the table. I practice it myself through my practice of, of meditation. And I think that's a beautiful word, grace, unmerited favor, unmerited um, gifts. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Whether you get to it through your faith or whether you get to it through a secular way, however you do it, the idea that grace can form the foundation of a lasting motivation, because you're right, we're all going to fall on our faces. It's human nature. Uh, I know the word for uh, sin in the New Testament is hamarkia, which comes from the same word as archery, to miss the mark. Is that That's correct in, in, in the Greek. So we all as human beings are going to miss the mark whether you believe it in a religious sense, which I don't want to get into, or in our daily lives and our behavior, the things that we're trying to correct. So that is a, a stellar thing that you presented. That I think you 
that word just flowed out of you. And I think that's the center point of how you walk through the world. Walking through the world with grace for yourself enables you to grant it to other people. And I think that's what makes you a great leader. People will sense from you that you're not just there to inspire them. You're there to validate them that from a place of non-judgment. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to add, uh, and add, add another thing that's helped because you brought it up is uh, I also meditate every day. So, okay, do so I. I don't, I don't, med- I don't meditate for like, uh, before I had kids, I would meditate longer, but just short sessions, even five minutes, but just, yeah. and I've been yeah. doing that for almost 10 years. So yeah. just meditating in the morning for a couple of minutes, meditating for five minutes in the afternoon recharges me and brings back to that awareness of what needs to, because you asked the question, where do you learn, you know, how do you learn from your mistakes? Well, start with meditation. When you meditate, your awareness of all the negative thoughts, what you're thinking of, right? Yes, I cannot live without it either. When I have, I have frequent mornings where I'm self-critical and have confusions and I've made an agreement with myself. I don't address those questions and those thoughts until after I've meditated and then I don't do them in my head, I write them out which has been a significant shift for me. I'm almost done. We're running out of time. I would love to go another hour with you, but we can't. Let me ask you one more thing. This is a real challenging question. There comes a time in every leader's life where they just have to say to someone, you're out of here. You're just not producing your, 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 what I've found in any sales organization, any team, if you let someone slack long enough, they'll begin to affect the morale of the people who are productive and the people who are genuinely striving to be productive. So how do you gracefully recognize that person is just, I hate to say this word, I'm going to use it because a lot of salespeople use it. They're dead weight. They're weight along. Uh, they're, the seed is not falling on productive ground. So to, to use a biblical metaphor, how do you can those people? Yeah, great question. Um, again, I wish I knew this when I first started too in the year one. It took me like my third year I learned this. Is you work with people that deserve your time. Not need your time. Everyone needs your time, but you work with people that deserve your time. So generally, you give, I give them three strikes. So, so you give them assignment to do and see if they do it or not. And generally, if they don't do it, there's only two reasons. Number one, they don't want it because they come up with excuses or they don't have the skills or confidence to do it. All right, so, for example, if I tell the person, I'll write a list of 10 names of your friends that we can share the products with and have it to me by tomorrow. And then they don't do it. It was number two reasons. Number one, because they don't want it. They're lazy. They don't really want it. Or number two, they maybe have fear that, oh, a rejection. Oh, this feels really weird. So that's a mindset thing, right? So if they don't do it, the mistake a lot of people make is they tell them to do the same thing. If they're not going to do it once, they're not going to do it again. They're, oh, come on. You motivate them. Do it again. They're not going to do it. So you give them an easier task to do. An easier task. So maybe you can't write down 10 names. And you maybe, hey, why don't you listen to this motivational audio and let me know by tomorrow what you learn. So maybe the motivation order is a mindset thing that helps them get over rejection. So you reach out to them tomorrow. And it could, tomorrow could be like two days from now, whatever, right? You set the time. And if they haven't done it, that means they really don't want it, Okay. Or they still have fear of listening to audio. Maybe they're afraid that, oh, my friends find out I listen to motivation audio, they'll be whatever. Or they don't have this, the, the, whatever capability, right? Either they have a mindset or they don't want it. So if they still don't do it. You make even an easier task for them to do, right? Easier task to go, hey, why don't we go listen, get on Zoom and just listen to watch this five minute video together? That's something anyone can do. And if they still don't do it, that means, hey, 
they really, really don't want it. And you basically, with these type of people, you kind of transition. You don't call them where they know, they themselves know that, hey, I'm not up for this. They can go to your weekly trainings, but you're not going to spend one-on-one -on -one time with them. And generally, they don't cause a problem. They just, they go back to the masses and they just go with the listening training that may get used to product and so on. Okay. But if they say the first time they, uh, they don't make the list of names, you send them the audio and they do listen to the audio. Then that tells you that they do have the desire, but maybe they don't have the skill set and the mental toughness. So if they accomplish the task, you give them a little bit harder task and you give it a hard, because as the training and confidence and mindset grows, they'll be able to do the activities, the harder and harder activities to be successful. But if they don't do it, you just, you know, you don't even reach out to them. Generally, they know, right? Hey, you know, I screwed up three times. Simon, you just say, you know, see you on the weekly training. And they're happy. They will leave you alone. Because at the end, they don't really want it anyway. They have other That's things to do. Anyway. You know what? I have one more question for you. It's a very yeah. personal question. And if you don't want to answer it, we'll edit it out of the show. But as someone who's a, he, I do healing work and I do a lot of intuitive work with people, I've got to ask you this question. You're so motivated and you're so focused and you're so driven. And you talked about living in a 400 square foot apartment. Were you raised in an environment where you were told that you could do anything you set yourself out to do? Or were you discouraged and told you're dumb? I, you can't do it. Stay in your place. What was the emotional environment that enabled you? In other words, are you living something that was watered with early seeds and said, yes, you can do everything that you want to, or were you told the opposite? Stay in your place, just follow this and, and don't reach for anything bigger than any than what you already are. You know, that's you a, that? No, awesome question. You know, um, you know, I was, my dad was rags to riches. He was born, you know, grew up in the ghetto in Hong Kong, came over to the U S and became a very successful uh, surgeon, general surgeon, a doctor. Oh, wow. so I was always, I was always the richest kid in my public school. Okay, but to answer your question, no, they never told me I could achieve whatever. So I had tremendous amounts of limiting beliefs. Uh, in fact, I English was my third language. Even though I was born in the U.S., I spoke Mandarin and Cantonese first, and I used to be terrible in English. I would, and I'll do decently in math, um, and I was just terrible. I, was, I just couldn't speak. You know, and, and being an introverted, that made it, things worse. Um, but the ironic thing is my parents would tell me, you know what? And my parents did teach me a lot of things that were very, very helpful. But they would say, well, you know what? Um, the liberal arts, the speaking, the white kids are better at that. You just stick to science and math. Asians are good in science and math. The only problem was, the only problem was I was Asian and I sucked in science and math. Okay, I struggled. <laughs> so I was going to, I was going to uh, plan to take over my dad's practice, but I was terrible. In college, I did terrible in sciences. I did terrible. I did ter terrible in my MCATs. And the classes I actually got better in were my, so, you know, my poli-sci classes. I, I really like this stuff. Why am I doing stuff I don't want to do? So to answer the question, no, I was never. But uh, my grandmother, my mom taught me to never give up. You know, she was always been an inspiration where she basically self-taught herself to day trade. Uh, but had lost a lot of money. Someone scammed them. My dad, my, you know, my dad was a doctor, didn't know anything. They scammed them out of a, lots of money. Still over six figures in the 80s on a real estate deal. And that time was a lot of money. I remember my mom was crying of the financial stress, but she never gave up. And she ended up being able to retire my dad early because of the day trading, self-taught. So that really inspired me. And my late grandmother told me, always prove the haters wrong. No matter what you do, you know, there's kids that make fun of you. Always work hard, prove the haters wrong. I love that. Always prove the haters wrong. 
Simon, thank you. You have been one of the most interesting guests I've ever had on the show. And I know your episode is going to be a dynamite hit with my viewers and listeners. Thank you again for being on the show. And I'd love to have a little discussion with you off the air because I have so much more to talk to you about. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to The Influencer's Edge. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for having me, Paul. The Influencer's Edge is brought to you by the Invisible Influence Series. If you're ready to massively increase your sales by leveraging the power of subconscious persuasion, then make sure you text the word COMPEL to 411-321. That's COMPEL to 411-321. And if you're outside of the United States, then use WhatsApp and text the word COMPEL to 1. 909-741-1321. Make sure you put in your best email address because that's how we'll deliver the goodies. Thank you for tuning in to the Influencer's Edge, where you get the latest breakthroughs, cutting-edge insights, tools, and techniques so you can leapfrog over the pack at sales, influence, and persuasion. Remember to visit our website at www.theinfluencersedge.com to enjoy even more great episodes like this one. We look forward to seeing you again on the Influencers Edge Show.